bit the dust, so uh, kind of dependent on the, the mic from the podium. But I just want to encourage you that we're the goals that I think that we need to continue to maintain is that is a determination that we're we're all going to try to be in as close to the center of God's will as we possibly can. And uh, that means that in order to be there, we have to fight principalities and powers and workers of darkness uh, that cannot be seen, um, that uh, they're not of this world. And I'm glad they don't manifest themselves, uh, but they are opposing the things of God. And so we struggle with that. Whether you realize that there's opposition to what you're trying to do, but if you feel, boy, it seems like it's a real struggle to to live as as I should be, as I need to be, as I I know God desires me to be. And uh, if you understand that, that you're uh, the more that you attempt to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, the more, in a sense, resistance you will face. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in you. All right. That's the Lord Jesus than he that is in the world. And we know that's speaking of the devil himself. He opposes the things of God. So even though there's a struggle, even though there's a fight, even though there's resistance, we can still claim victory. That's the idea that we're going to go forward. And if you weren't here Wednesday night, I preached a message on going forward. And so that means that we have to be in the sense of if you want to win a game, whether it's basketball, football, hockey, uh, a game, whatever game you're trying to win, uh, you can't just play a, a defense. Am I right? I'm not a sports guy, but uh, what I see is you've got to have a good offense, right? That means that there's got to be the desire to accomplish Not just hold ground, but actually accomplish something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Because He is greater in this world than the devil, then the idea that you can win and should win is not uh, a question. It's just a matter of of your faith determining, I'm going to go forward in my faith. I'm going to go forward with my family. I'm going to go forward with my marriage. I'm going to go forward... Uh, in my responsibilities as a, as a as a as a believer in this church, and as a pastor, that that requires me to be somewhat aggressive. All right, uh, I I take those young people downstairs, and I I don't spoon feed them. If you understand what I'm saying, I I I, I say young people, and I I reemphasize today they are not in children's church. All right. I'm not talking to children, although I've got one that's in fourth grade. They are not children. They are young adults. I am preparing them, and you should be preparing them for that battle they're going to face, and they are going to face it. Getting them ready. I said said to some of them, I said, you realize in, in maybe two or three years, you may be paying your own bills. You may be having your own home. Kind of got to look like, yeah, yeah, it could be. And that reality check comes in. You say, wow, I, I need to be serious about that. So I want to take a time to, today just to think of if we're going to say we're going to win this battle, we're going to uh, continue to stay uh, aggressive in our 
desire to serve the Lord and to see our homes, our families, our children, our church become all that the Lord wants us to be, then there's some necessities. There's some very important necessities that you're going to have to be able to see and recognize and pursue if you're going to see that kind of a victory. And I hope that you want that. I hope that God gives you a vision. Yeah, um, uh, you know, people look at the, the home and they look at their marriage and they look at uh, uh, the statistics out there and they think, well, you know, this is, this is the best it can be. You know, you start looking around uh, and you try to make your determinations for your success based upon uh, the way the world leads their life. Well, I guarantee you're going to fail. Faith takes us beyond that. Faith takes us to a place when I when when we when we tell our when we tell folks that our children married without ever kissing each other before marriage, never alone before marriage. They think, yeah, right. Can't happen anymore. Can. How about it if we say we're a church that can still win souls? Nah, that don't happen anymore, Pastor. Really? It can. The Bible says in the book of Acts, he added to the church what? Daily. Such as should be saved. God is interesting in adding to the church. And I'm not a numbers person, I'll be honest with you. Matter of fact, I've rethought that a lot. In recent days, thinking, you know, we had folks that come and thought we, they were of us, but the Bible says they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. So I'm going to take a real long, hard look for some folks. I, I want to join the church. No, I want to say, man, I want to make sure that you know who we are. Understand that we are a Bible-believing church that believes that God changes everything about you. So we're going to look at these necessities of life. Understand how that these necessities are so important. We're going to look, first of all, the greatest necessity of all is salvation. You're going to lead the Christian life. First of all, you've got to be Christian. There's so many people out there think, because I live in a, in a predominantly Christian nation, and I grew up in a quote, if we could say our family was anything, it was Christian. We have a lot of people today that think they're Christian and they're not. That's hard. They think they're Christian because they have, they have some values. They have some uh, ideas that uh, I think the Ten Commandments are something I should live my life by. I think going to church is the right thing. I think uh, 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 Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Listen, you know the devil believes all that too? The devil believes in God, but he trembles. He doesn't deny that God is there. He doesn't deny that the church is of God. He doesn't deny that the Bible is the Word of God. But is the devil a Christian? Is he? No. And so this idea that I'm going to breach the necessity of salvation, and, and what I say is that I, I, is there's a, I was looking for this, I think it's in Matthew 12. 
is that salvation is a gift of God. I'm not going to go into an extreme part of that, but it's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not because you've been a good person. Salvation is just exactly what the Bible says. It's something God gives you. It's a gift. And you receive a gift. It's like a, you, somebody offering you a gift and you receive that gift. The Bible says, as, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. And so salvation is a gift. It's not earned. Not, not one point. Not one, not one percentage of a percentage point is it earned. You could be in, 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 uh, in the world's eyes, you could be a, a righteous individual. You could say, well, I, I've never smoked, drink, I, I believe the Bible, I believe this, I, I, I try to do my best, I, 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 I'm honest at work and all these things. And I'd say the Bible says you're still going to hell because it's not based upon your good works. Because the Bible says it's not from works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. So by the mercy of God He saves us. And if you're not clear on that, think of the think of the thief on the cross. You know there was there was two that were that were crucified with Christ. Remember that? One on the right, one on the left. At the beginning, they both railed on him, uh, uh, saying, if you be the Son of God, get yourself down, save us and yourself. Toward the end of that, and they were truly criminals. They were convicted criminals. But before the end of the crucifixion of Christ, one of them changed his mind. He says, we know that you've not done, one of them said it. What they said you've done. We know that you really are the Son of God. And he asked one request. He said, will you remember me? And what did Jesus say? Today. What? Today. You'll be with me in paradise. Now listen to me. That thief didn't have time to get off the cross. He didn't have the time to go be baptized. He didn't have the time to do good works. And yet, all of that was erased. All everything was erased in his life because of his faith in the finished work that Jesus was doing on the cross for him. You realize nobody's saved any differently than that thief? When you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to look this morning at one, basically one thing that I see the people that say they're Christian, but they're not. You say, well, you can't judge me. The Bible says I can judge you. The righteous man judges all things. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That means your attitude changes, your life changes because the Lord Jesus becomes evident in your life. It may not happen the first day, the first week, the first month, or even the first year. But I tell you what, God changes you. And He changes you, and I'm going to give you some verses here, because now you're in submission to Him. 
Whereas before, you weren't subject to Christ in any way, shape, or form. You weren't subject to His Bible. You weren't subject to His church. You weren't subject to uh, uh, His will in any way. But now you are, and a lack thereof gives evidence. There's a problem that maybe there's no salvation. Look with me in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8, if you would. The greatest necessity for, of life to be in the God's perfect will is salvation. Romans chapter number 8, I want you to look at a verse with me. In verse number 3, Romans 8, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. That means the Bible, just the do's and don'ts of the Bible, couldn't be accomplished by human will. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So as God says, listen, you can't please me in the flesh. You never could please me in the flesh. Never will. And He says in verse 4 that the righteousness which of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after what? See, the moment that a person surrenders their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he imparts to that individual his spirit. Whereas before, the will of God, the desire to live for God, the law of God, the church of God, the things of God, and none of those things were valued to you all of a sudden now because you've been gifted in that man that died on the cross. But before he died, he submitted himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendered. He received God's Spirit. It says, who walk not after the flesh, or I'm sorry, but after the Spirit. In verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Whereas before you weren't subject to the things of God, you you didn't have a a spirit that told you to be subject to the things of God. You were independent. You were doing your own thing when you want, how you want, where you want. And and you weren't subject. It's just whatever you willed. And now all of a sudden things have changed. Verse number 6. Where it says to be what? Carnally minded is what? Death. If that person on the cross had just come to a recognition that Jesus was the Christ, it wouldn't have been sufficient. If he had just said, you know, well, hey, I'm kind of messed up in my life. I'm sorry, Jesus, you did okay. Uh, Sorry you had to go through what you did. That wouldn't have been good enough. But he asked him a question. Will you remember me? I want what you have to offer. I want that gift that you've been hanging on the cross for. And Jesus knew that. He may have not mouthed it in a perfect way, but He knew what He needed and He knew what God was offering and He accepted that and He became subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says because the carnal mind 
is enmity against God. You know what the synonymous with that word enmity means? You're an enemy. You're opposed. You say, well, I agree with the Bible. See, the idea of being subject to Christ is that means, you know, the passion that I have. Danny says he said. Hobbs says he saved. Cassie, uh, 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 Ralphie, and Yolanda say they're saved. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I can name all of you in here. We have a like mind, a like heart, like spirit, like understanding because we have a, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're subject to Him. You say, where do we get that? It comes from Him. And you say, well, I'm not on the same page. Well, ask yourself, why not? The Bible says that you may be, possibly be, what? Carnally minded. And you're not subject to the law of God. The Spirit of God is what makes you subject. That's what It's not because you turned over a new leaf. And I'm waking up some morning thinking, you know what, I'm kind of tired of living the life that I'm living. I'm going to start living for the Lord. I'm going to start. Listen, unless you surrender specifically to Christ Jesus. There's no, the Bible says there's no salvation in any other. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, the Bible says. You say, well, I give my life to God. Unless you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Savior. There's there's a lot of gods out there. There's the Muslim God. there's There's the Hindu gods. Right? There's the Catholic God. But unless you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter number 3. 13, I'm sorry. Subjection. Look with me in verses number 1 through 5. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher power. For there's no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. And whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive what? To themselves what? I see a lot of people subject to their boss, they're subject to their to the state, they're subject to a lot. But boy, when it comes to being subject to, to the things of God, nope. Uh, you know what? I come to church when I get a chance. I'll give when it's convenient. I'll obey the commandment if I know what it is, and if I don't know what it is, I ain't going to worry about it. The Bible says here, whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, in verse 2. And they resist shall receive into themselves damnation. And then it goes beyond just the idea that, that a, you know, a, a God puts in place and He's always done this. There was Moses, right? There was David. There was leaders that God put in, in, in place to, 
to, to do the work that He intended to be done. It says in verse 3, For rulers are not, a, not, are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou not be afraid of the powers and do that which is good? And thou shalt receive praise of the same. So let me say this, is that subjection is not only to the law of God, but it's also to those that God has put in authority over you. I went over that with the kids this morning. My young adults. I said, you know, God has put parents in your life for a reason. I, I, I gave them a question. I said, why didn't God I ever thought about this? And I knew they thought I was kind of silly, but I said, why didn't God just make us smart? Why didn't He just make us Einsteins when we're born? Wouldn't it be nice to see little Addie up here reading a, a, a highly technical book and, and giving you the theory of, of all the things that are in the book and, and, just, and, just giving, and just talking like an adult at the age of, well, how old is she? A year? Yeah, two years. A year and a half? Yeah. 19 months? Wouldn't that be something? Man, we wouldn't have to go to school. And your kids are saying, man, that would been a good idea. Hey, I wouldn't have to do that. Have you ever thought about that? See, God made them that way. I told them made them that way. I think God makes you that way so you're simple. You have to be subject. I don't know everything and I have to learn from my parents. I have to learn from... You know, God says the same thing. Gives you the ability to be humble enough to learn and to grow. If you knew everything, you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need parents, you wouldn't need rules, you wouldn't need anything. Let me give you another reason. One of the biggest necessities of life. Love. You say, really? Some people say they really do love. See, there's a love that is we call love and the strength and ability that every person has. There's people out there that have no real love or interest in the things of God and they have a degree of love for their, their parents. They have a degree of love for their spouse. Maybe have a pretty good marriage, pretty good uh, relationship going on. But do we think that that love compares anything to the love of God? How many think that that comes even comes close? Huh? I mean, think of it. The Bible talks about the love of God. And comparing our love to His love is just not comparable, but some people think it is. They think that they're experiencing uh, being the kind of loving their kids the way they need to do, or loving their spouse the way they need to do, or showing a love for their church the way they need to do. But listen, without God's Spirit... And the salvation that, listen, you're just kidding yourself. The Bible says that sometimes, the book of Romans, and we see this once in a while, people will almost live a martyr life in a sense. They would die for the cause of a very just person in their life. Did you realize that the Lord Jesus so loved you that He died for you and for every individual in this world in the most wicked state possible? 
You realize that? God died for a Saddam Hussein and an Adolf Hitler and a Charles Manson and a Richard Speck. He died for them. If they would repent and turn to Christ, He would forgive and they'd have a home in heaven. Now, I'm not saying Adolf Hitler's in heaven. I don't think so. I don't know what he did at the end of his life. We know what the rich man or the man on the cross did, right? We have testimony out of the Bible, but we don't know about those individuals. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, do you really love the way the Bible says that we should love? Listen, salvation brings the ability to love God's way. And if I and we ought to be able to see that among ourselves, and the Bible teaches us that. Turn to Matthew with me, Matthew twenty two. Let's look what the Bible says. Matthew twenty two, if you would. I want us to see that there's a marked disparity between man's love and God's love. Yet living and loving the way God is is to some degree possible, but it's only possible through the salvation that Christ Jesus gave us. Look in verse number 36, if you would. Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Verse 36. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's a lot of alls. How would That's kind of subjective. How would you know? I love the Lord thy God with all my heart, mind, soul. How would I know that a person loves God like that? Well, God clarified, This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as what? As what? Whoa. Now let me tell you what. That is a miracle in itself. That is a huge miracle in itself. I mean, to think about loving somebody as much as somebody else as much as you do yourself. You go to anybody's home, kids go get a drink of water. Or even adults. How many of them go in there and say, you know, I'm kind of thirsty. I don't get me a drink of water. It ought to be automatic if you're really loving others like you love yourself. You say, honey, would you like to even get you a drink? Or the kids go up to them and say, I'm going to go get me a soda. Hey, Dad, Mom, would you let me get you a soda? I'm kind of thirsty. Would you want one too? Right? Or that last piece of uh, Giordano's uh, pizzas on that uh, pie uh, plate, and and uh, and they say, Man, you know what, Dad, you ought to eat this last piece. Kids are saying that. No, son, you can have it. No, Dad, that's for Mom. She needs that pizza. Guess what? And that last piece, everybody's looking to see who's going to not take it, right? Have you seen it happen? I'll take it. This is a silly little illustration, but to be honest with you, you go buy something at the store for who? Yeah. 
How would it be if you go to the scene, you hear somebody in the church has got a need, and you think, you know, them folks, they, they really got a need. And we've, uh, God, God, help, help that family. They're really struggling. Uh, uh, they need help. And then you go to the store and you fill up your, your grocery basket. Am I right? God, I hope you help them next week. I wonder how they did this week. God didn't send an airplane and make an airlift over their house and drop them some stuff. I wonder why God didn't do that. You think God's got some ambassadors out there? What do you think? I mean, God's got a few ambassadors out there. And what is God's ambassadors supposed to be doing? Come on, help me out. What's he, what are they supposed to be doing? Ah, they're saying, uh, you know what? Uh, God says, well, why don't you go over there and help the family? Oh, yeah, you know, that's a good idea. I know they're hurting. Matthew 24, if you would. Matthew chapter 24. Some of the problems why there's no love. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse number 11. It says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. But the next verse says what? Because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall what? Wax cold. See, the love of God isn't dependent upon what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is accomplishing. The love of God is dependent upon the Lord and you. It isn't what everybody else does in the church. It's what God tells you to do. It's totally independent. Let me give you another verse. John chapter 13. Well, while we're in Matthew, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Verse 44. I'm jump back and catch it in verse 43 because it parallels what we just read. You've heard it said by them of, you've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto thee, Love your enemies. Bless them that what? What's it say? Curse you. Do good to them that what? Hate you. Pray for them which what? Despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, wait a minute. Where'd that come from? That's breaking all the rules, right? Hey, who spoke these words? You got one of them Bibles that's in red? 
Who spoke them? Uh, God spoke all these words, but I emphasize these are the direct words that came out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. He says that ye may be children of your what? Father, which is in heaven. You're going to act like your dad. You're going to behave like your dad. You're going to bless them that curse you. You're going to love them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, why? Because God does it every day. God does it every day. Well, look what it says. He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I mean, God is taking care of the good and the bad. You say, why is that important? The Bible says it's from this love that we have for others. The Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. I spent a lot of time this morning on this one subject of salvation. So there's one of two things going on here. We have people that, quote, honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. And that could be that you're not saved. Wouldn't you rather me tell you that than the Lord Himself? Right? Wouldn't you rather your pastor give you a little heads up on this before that day you enter in and you stand before the righteous judge of the earth and he makes a determination, hey, I never knew you. Yeah, you 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 fooled yourself and you fooled those around you. To some, you ain't fooling me. I never knew you. I didn't know you. You talk, you talk the talk, but you didn't walk the walk. You looked good. You acted good, but hey, you weren't real. The necessity of life is that you have to be saved. Say this, and you can come to church that don't make you a Christian. Do you realize that? There are people that have been in this baptistry that are not Christians. You fool me. But listen, God changes you. If there's been no change, the Bible says you're none of His. There's no way Jesus can live and dwell in you and you go on and be the same person that you were before. Literally impossible. I can remember when I got saved. Oh, I won't go into some of the things I was doing. I'd shame some of it. Shame myself. I'm not proud of it. I continue to try to do the same things that I did before. 
I had a habit. And God says, Christians don't do that. Oh, but I like to do that. Christians don't do that. But I like that. I bet Christians don't do that. And I'd go ahead and do it anyway. And I'd feel, oh, all the time I was doing what I shouldn't have been doing. I'd feel so heavy and guilty and ashamed. I said, well, no, I get, I got something different inside now. Now, something hasn't come in. I'm not saying you're going to get a feeling, but I'm going to say that conscience that all of us have is now on high alert. The Spirit of God is moving inside. The Bible says like a candle. It's showing all the dirt and the crud and the junk that God says got to go. And day by day, week by week, God changes this and that and this and that. But if there's no change, The Bible says we're to be able to know the difference. If you're saved, and you know what I'm talking about, I'm not rattling you. But if you're living kind of on that edge, where people think they can live and still maintain a kind of a Christian quote-unquote life, and you're living on that edge and you don't like this message, and this message is kind of making you go like this. In, oh, you're not doing it now, but that's what you feel like doing. It ain't me. It's that Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. And when the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, the Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The soul and spirit start doing some slicing in there. And he goes, whoa, I don't like the way that feels. Are you a person that's living in adultery? Oh, Pastor, you had to say that, didn't you? you're You're a person that likes to drink a little bit on the side. I'm just a social drinker. Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. I thought it was alright to drink wine. If I say, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the matter of some is. And you say, I come to church. And oh, Pastor, you said that again about coming to church all the time. And he said, well, you know, we ought to read the Bible because the Bible says uh, that, that we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Oh, Pastor, why did you say that? And we're to pray without ceasing. Oh, no, now you're going to that thing. You're not making me feel very good about my salvation. Well, maybe you're not saved. I'm not supposed to make you feel good. Maybe you're just backslidden. And if you can't tell the difference between backslidden and lost, then I'd just start all over again. You might be out there right now. I don't know where I'm at. Well, just start over again. Why wonder? You say, Lord, I don't know where I'm at, but I don't want to go to hell. And I don't want to be somewhere in between. I'm just going to say I'm going to give my life to You and surrender. But if you say, well... What would others think? 
Hey, if I was going to hell, I wouldn't care what others thought. If I was on the, on, on the brink of eternity and this heart just quit beating all of a sudden, say, I'm not taking a chance like that. Some of you just kind of sit there. I'm not preaching this message because it's not needed. Because I'm going to stand before God someday as a pastor of this church and, and God's going to say, you know you had folks in your church that weren't even saved? I mean, couldn't you tell by the way they were living their life something was wrong? And, and, and you well, yeah, I guess, but they come to church once in a while. Really? Am I going to have your blood on my hands? No way. Ain't going to happen. So that's why you got this message. God help you. I can't get you saved. You want to get saved, you're going to call, you're going to tell me. You want to think, say, God, I don't know, Pastor, I'm not sure where I, you know, I've had people come to me and say, I'm not sure. Well, why are you, why are you lingering? Let's get sure. You really want to know. And you got enough the Holy Spirit digging into your soul, then you're going to say, like they did in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? That's what they did. Preaching, when they, was, when they were out there preaching, then they say, uh, Peter was preaching and Paul was preaching. Well, what must I do? And if you don't get to the point that you ask somebody what I need to do, then. You're in trouble. I'm just asking you not to do that. We're going to close. The necessity of life is salvation. You come back tonight, and we'll give you the second one. Come back tonight. You got some Jesus in you, you'll come back tonight. If you're just a Sunday morning creature, well, I got enough Jesus to last me for a month. <laughs> well, maybe you ought to come back tonight. Here's the second part. Let's stand as we close. Father, we, we come before you.